Lord, we just thank for this evening. We ask that you guide and lead us as we open the word and study and that you will show us what you'd have us to, to see from this portion. And we just thank you for your leading in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 50. If we make it through here, we're one third of the way done with the book of Psalms. And it's only been, what, a year and a half uh, so far? 50 weeks. So, verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called from the, the earth, from the rising of the sun into the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be a very temptuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, even, thy, even your God. I will not reprove thee for your sacrifices or burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will not I will take no bullock out of the, out of your house, nor the, your rams out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, if, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. I will eat the flesh of bulls and drink, will I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Offer unto the Lord thanksgiving, and pay your vows unto the Most High. And call upon him in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, I, and you shall glorify me. But unto the wicked, God says, What have you to do? What have you to do to declare my statutes, and that you should take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, when you see a thief, you consentest thou with him and have been partakers with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. Oh, sit and speak. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander my your own mothers. These things have you done and I keep silent. You thought that I was altogether such as one as yourself. But I will reprove you. I and set them in order before my eyes. Now consider this, you that forget God, lest I tear you into pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offers praise glorifies me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. All right. This is kind of broken up into three pieces, so we're going to... See where we, where we head with this. Verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken. This whole idea. The God. The mighty God. Even the Lord. And this is the, the mighty, which is El, and then Elohim. So it's basically saying the God, God. <laughs> the mighty God. Even the Lord, which is Yahweh, his name, his, his name that he gave Moses, has spoken and has called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. So God is speaking, and he's speaking to the whole earth from beginning of day to the end of day. 
and, and God speaks. This is, this is something that Asaph here is talking about, that God speaks to the world. And he doesn't, he's not silent to the world. Uh, and this is something we, we see that God says, we, no person is without uh, accountability to him. He has given his word to everybody. And we see that because we know that God went all the way back to Noah. There were rules for Noah before Noah's time. There were, you know, all the way through, God has always had the rules to the people. Even before the law, he wrote the law on our heart. And people know that they're doing wrong without having to be told. You know, it really is that people know when they're doing wrong. They may reject the idea that it's wrong, but they will continue to know because God speaks it. He puts it on the heart. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Okay, who remembers what Zion is? Jerusalem. It's another, it's a poetic name mostly for Jerusalem, but it is also a name for Jerusalem. So out of Jerusalem, the perfection of beauty, the completeness of beauty. You know, God has a special affinity toward Jerusalem. For whatever reason, Jerusalem has this precious place. It definitely does in the heart of the Jews. And I've listened to many Christians who have gone to visit Israel and the words are always the same, that there's a beauty, there's a, a drawing to Jerusalem when they see it. And I don't know what it is, that, but God has chosen that Jerusalem is going to be his dwelling place. And it's going to be his dwelling place for eternity. Uh, Grace and Les both said that if they had the, the Les doesn't want to quit working. But if they had the way to make money and could pull it off, they both would love to move over there. And I've heard similar things from many Christians that are all very much that there's a draw to Jerusalem. And the Jews are very much being drawn there. I mean, it's, it's very much their heart's desire to be in Israel around Jerusalem. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that Jerusalem and that part of the earth belongs to God? Yeah, we're going to see it. We're going to see it. We've seen it already. Yeah. I was thinking that but God says all the world belongs to him. But there's something special about the homeland that he has given to the Jews. That whole area to him is special because he's given it to the first group of people that he has chosen to be his. And he has said, this is where I'm going to abide. He, the temple was built there. Uh, and there's just a specialness to it to this day. I'm going to take a rabbit road. Remember what I said about the Muslim mosque in, on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem? Mm. Mount Zion, that big one that they fight over all the time, mm -hmm. where our temple mount is. Okay, yeah. the mosques, how do you say that word? Mosque. The mosques that have been there in this one town in Nepal for hundreds of years. Is not there anymore. Yeah. Brick by brick, that thing came down. And that's a possibility that that could happen in, in Jerusalem. Uh, it's also a possibility they're going to find a way to build both of them on, you know, the on the same place because the foundation of the Temple of Solomon is not where the mosque is. It's further southeast of the mosque. And so it is possible for them to build God's temple on there 
take out the court of the Gentiles, which is not part of the original tabernacle, if you remember our Exodus study. Yeah. Uh, and I can't remember if it was Daniel or John, but one of the two of them were, were told to measure the temple and to leave off the court of the Gentiles in their measurement, which tends to be a sign that that mountain's going to have both temples on it at some point in its history. Uh, so it is very possible that that will be the uh, answer to everybody's problems of how can you have both places. And then they just build this great big wall between the two and, and segregate the, the, the Jewish temple from the, the Dome of the Rock. But Jesus for that thousand years isn't going to use the Oh, it'll be gone by then. Oh, I'm just going to There say. won't be any issue then. During that thousand, because that, what it is, it, whatever it is, is going to stand up and say, now that this is built, worship me. Yeah. The Antichrist will stand up in the temple, the Jewish temple, and and desecrate it. Jesus plays nice with other people, but he doesn't share nice with other people. No. So, but yeah, I mean, Jerusalem is, is claimed by three major, major religious groups and that's the Jews, the, the Muslims, and the Christians because it's a special place to each one of those. Now for Christians and Jude Judaism it's not that not that big a tension in there. Uh, now when it comes to the temple the Christians don't care one way or the other about the temple because we don't want to see the sacrifices started and, and all that because Jesus fulfilled the, the sacrifices. Uh, but Jerusalem is a very special place, and everybody you talk to seems to think that same way when they see it, that they have a love for it. And Jews are almost like homing pigeons in one sense. They're, they're just, there's the desire to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and eventually that will be the only safe place for them, uh, you know, especially during the tribulation period, the only safe place for a Jew is going to be in their own country and then in Petra as they're chased out of their country basically and for God to protect them supernaturally so that they're not totally destroyed. And how we got on to end times, I don't know, but that's okay. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I heard the Jews were asked to leave Europe. Uh, they're, they're being encouraged to leave Europe. There's a lot of anti-Semitism going on in Europe real bad. Uh, and so we're going to see more and more Jews saying, the heck with this, we're not going to live where, you know, we're going to go where we're accepted, you know, which is be our own country. And, you know, and right now the Jews are leaving Europe to either go to Israel or America because America is still relatively friendly to the Jews. Is it in Europe or in New York City where the, the people were said we're killing all Jews and they're getting away with it because they said by law there's nothing they can do about it. Europe. It's happening yeah, in Europe. Europe. It's happening in I Europe. I thought it was a broadcast from 1939 or something. You know, it sounds like this is the Holocaust month. I thought it was a rebroadcast way back then, but it's really no, it's happening now. It's really yeah, anti is happening now, especially in Europe, but it's also in South America and many many uh, African countries and in, 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 in Asia. Right now, the only two places where they can live in relative freedom is the United States and, and Israel. And the United States is getting worse. Yep. Uh, so there's, 
they're going to be basically pushed into their own country just because for safety issues. But it all fits into the scripture. It all fits under the scriptures. It all fits in in calling them back from their 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 being pushed out of the country and the diaspora diaspora where they were pushed away from their country uh, through the through the you know through the Roman Empire and now they're getting starting to come back and God is calling them back you know and he's calling them back he's allowing it to be made that that is the only safe place for them to go and so we're going to see more and more of the Jews returning home and being pushed out of other countries and then as you get into the into the book of Revelation and Daniel it talks about the whole world coming against them in Israel uh, and God protecting them supernaturally but anyway out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, the completeness of beauty, God shines. Okay, and he's always done this. He has really shined forth out of Israel. And it will happen. You know, we know that it, when Jesus returns, he sets his kingdom up in Jerusalem. His foot touches on Mount Olivet. It splits and water flows and purifies the Dead Sea. And all the descriptions in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah come true. And he will rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem. And it'll be a time when we come back to him in our glorified bodies and rule with him for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is released, tempts the people that were still alive and at the end of the tribulation and that were born during the millennial kingdom. And at the end of that final testing, Satan and all the people that have followed him are cast into into hell it's shut up forever destroys the world recreates a new heaven and new earth and the new jerusalem comes down question mm -hmm. if, okay uh if we come back in our glorified bodies will we know our grandchildren and great-grandchildren be able to intermingle with them well, we're ruling with them, so I imagine, yes, we can intermingle with them. Would we know our families? I mean, we're not going to be any stupider than we are today. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll know our family. We'll know, we'll know our relatives. Uh, but that will be a thousand years, and maybe they're all gone, so we wouldn't know the new relatives. No. Any, any that are born from them, anybody that's born from them. Hopefully, if you've done your job, all your, all your family will be... Be, be raptured and be born again so there's nobody to be born during that period uh, because very few you got to remember very few people are going to live to the end of the tribulation anyway 66% of the population of this world will die during the tribulation a large part of those that live will have taken the mark they automatically are condemned so it will be a very small percentage of people that live into the millennial kingdom and because you've got to, number one, live, and only 33%, one, two out of every three people are going to be dead. So you've got to be one of the one in three that live, and you've got to not take the mark of the beast. So very few people are going to live and move into the millennial kingdom. It's going to be a very, very small percentage of people. Uh, and they will have children and grow and... And that's when it says that anybody that doesn't live to be two, you know, 100 years old will be considered a dying as a child. Uh, 
you know, and people will be having children. It'll be back the way it was in the in when God created everything. There won't be sin because Jesus is ruling with an iron rod. So even though they might want to sin, they're not going to sin because he's not going to let them sin. But death will still be a factor? Death will still be a factor according to the scriptures that death can, because there's still sin. There's still sin nature. But most people are going to live because it's going to be a virtually perfect world. But there and might still be accidents. It'll be an accident for a thousand years. And that's in Revelation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Revelation and also talks about it in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And I know Daniel doesn't talk too much about the millennial kingdom. Uh, so you've got this time that's virtually perfect where, vir- where people will, you know, there will still be accidents. Death still is there because there's sin nature. Uh, but there won't be, you know, violent death and everything. It'll be some kind of accident or something. Or, you know, you might be able to poison yourself. I don't know. But it'll be a time when everything is going but it does say that anybody that dies at 100 years old will be considered a child. And it's, so you're, you're talking about returning back to the original that you're going to live until, until the end. Well, there ain't going to be no corn chips and cheese, crack, cheese crackers. And no genetically no modified food and, and garbage food for you. It'll all be pure food. You'll have to eat healthy. Okay, verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be a very tempestuous round about him. So this is talking about God coming forth. He's coming forth from Jerusalem. He's almost picturing this in times. He's coming forth. He's not going to be quiet. He's going to convict, and fire goes before him. His judgment goes before him. And it says that he will, it will be very tempestuous, and that tempestuous means stormy. And it's a word that means very stormy anyway. And then it puts a very in front of it. So picture that you're talking about a very, very stormy mm-hmm. you know, conditions that he's coming in. He is coming in with some fury. And I don't know if you've ever really seen a furious storm or anything. If you've ever been out by an ocean when a really bad storm comes in and the waves are coming in at 20, 30 feet and rushing up on the land and crush, you know, smashing the land. Uh, I, I've been in several hurricanes and typhoons and you watch the, you stand out of the window and you look and the, and the, and the wind is going, the, the rain's going horizontal that's being blown so hard. It's blowing sideways. Uh, the trees are being bent over. You know, we're talking about some really, you know, storms out there can be really strong storms at times. And God is saying when he moves forth, it's going to be like the greatest storm. He's just going to come sweeping through. And if you've ever been there, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. I was in one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been in lots of hurricanes. I don't even well, think I twice about even hurricanes. There you go. And you, if you're in a hurricane and you actually have the eye pass over, it, it, it literally is funny. It's stormy, 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 and then nothing. And you think it's all gone, and it's not. 
you're just in the eye of the storm and it, and it hits just as fast as it stopped. And you're not, it's not the buildup. If you come down the edges, it builds and builds and builds and builds. And then you hit the, and then it just stops. There's this, and then when the eye comes over you, it hits just as hard. It doesn't build, it just slams into you again. And a lot of people have been killed in the middle of hurricanes and, and uh, typhoons because they go out in the middle of the eye thinking it's all over or thinking they can play some, play a little games for a while. And then all of a sudden they get hit by stuff that is just unbelievable. And you know they say during a tornado that it can drive a piece of wood or a piece of straw right through walls because of this velocity it's it's throwing and moving this stuff. Uh, the power, nature when when it moves can be huge, and God's using that as his example. You know that his power can come through and move on people. And it says he shall call to. He shall call hither the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Okay, and this is why I'm thinking this is we're getting toward the end times in this in this talk because he's talking about judging people and calling the heavens to 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 witness his his judgment. And he now, judges that his only people. This is a good question. It says that he's coming out of Jerusalem. I have a feeling that this is more toward the millennial kingdom when he's ruling with his iron iron rod and his judgment is swift and he's coming out. So I believe it's the world. I won't stand hard on that, but I think he's talking here about the end times judgments. Well, it says uh, the earth's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's calling, he's, he's calling, he shall call, and the word in, in, in uh, King James is, is two, but it really is hither. He calls hither the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. So I think it's, I think we're talking about the end times. I mean, God can do this. I mean, this could be a picture of what he does automatically as well when he comes in and he, and he convicts his people. And sometimes God comes down and it feels like a, a furious storm coming down upon us when, when we're totally rejecting him. Uh, but, you know, he comes down and he says, I'm going to judge my people. Verse 5, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So that points more to the Jews, don't Depends on how you define sacrifice. Yeah. Okay. And this is where sacrifice literally means to lift up to God. It doesn't necessarily mean the sac. I mean, because he talks about the sacrifice of praise, which we're going to get into later on in here. Mine, mine says, "Gathered my godly ones." To godly ones, the saints. Saints are those who have yeah. been set aside. Uh, we're called saints. We're saints. They're faithful, godly, pious, uh, called called aside, <laughs> called ones. So that definitely could be at this point. It could be us as well as as the Jews, and. Those who have made a covenant to me by sacrifice. And this sacrifice literally means to just lift up to God. Okay? Because the sacrifice is is given him given him his his due. Well uh, a sacrifice to me is means giving up something. So when you follow Christ, you are giving up. That's part of the sacrifice. Uh, and as we've been studying in Levit Leviticus, there's the 
the five major sacrifices that he gives. There's the burnt offering, which was a total dedication to God. There was the meat offering, which was a consecration to service. I'm giving you, I'm giving to God, and he's giving back to me, if you remember. Uh, there was the trespass offering that was for sin. There was the uh, sin offering, which was for propitiation. And then you've got the... The free will, the free will, the three free will offerings, and now it got me bugged that I can't remember all the offerings. Uh, it's the burnt offering for dedication, the meat offering, which was not didn't have anything to do with meat; it had to do with the 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 flour, the fine flour, that was the consecration of service, the trespass offering, which was for propitiation, which means the satisfying the condemnation of that was toward us and then there was the consecration offering and then there was the peace offering that's the one i'm missing the peace offering which was that celebration of our salvation and that was the one where we got to basically have a party where god gave back you know took a portion of the animal the priest got a portion of the animal and then you got back a portion of the animal to be able to eat and and you had to eat it within a day or two depending on why you why you gave it so all these things that go on. Sacrifice was to give to God and to even share with God. It was, it was show devotion. And so, yes, part of it is to give up something. Part of it is to say, God, I want you to have something. And we'll get further into this more when we get to the Thanksgiving offering and mentioned in this verse, in this chapter. Verse 6, And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. And I love this. The heavens shall declare his righteousness. You know, and it's true. When you look up into the skies, into the stars, and see the beauty of God, you see the beauty of his creation. Uh, you go to what I truly believe that God has written the gospel in the, in the stars, in the constellations. Because the constellations make no sense. When you look at them and see what they, how they're pictured, they make no sense. Because the pictures aren't there. You know, so nobody looked up in the star and said, oh, you know, that's a, that's a lion up there. That's a, that's a serpent up there. There's only one constellation in the sky that actually looks at what it is, and that is the Southern Cross. You cannot mistake the Southern Cross for anything but the Southern Cross. And you've got to be down below, below about 20 degrees north latitude to see the Southern Cross. And there are no other stars around the Southern Cross, and it is a cross in the sky. And you can't, it's the only one that actually looks like what it is. I've never seen it. You probably haven't been far enough south. <laughs> I lived in Guam. You could look in the, in, to the south, and there's the Southern Cross. And it's in a dark spot of the sky. And literally, there's no other stars around the Southern Cross. It stands out. It is obvious that it's a cross in the sky. Uh, and it's a beautiful. Yeah, I, mean, I, have, I mean, the only thing I've seen is <laughs> yeah, you, you pick out, you pick out. But going back to this, the you know, I read a book a long time ago, and it's very controversial. And I, but I believe it. It is the gospel and the stars. And we have astrology, and Satan. You got to remember, Satan never counterfeits something that isn't real. So there has to be a real thing for him to counterfeit. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And the gospel in the sky shows. It starts at Virgo, the Virgin, ends all the way around with Leo, 
the mighty king that conquers. And all the story throughout the stars is, is interesting to be able to read and, and to study. And the names of the stars have the gospel message in them from their earliest names that are still kept out, kept out there. But the heavens declare his righteousness. And this is, this is one of the, those verses that helps me understand that you know, there's a story up there. It has been changed over years. It has been corrupted over the years. It's the same thing with almost every civilization has a flood story or flood legend. Yeah. And most of them have been changed over the years, but they all have the same. One family gets on a boat, and the world is wiped out by water, and they save the animals on their, on their boat. It's, you know, they may change the number of people and the names and how long, but it's always the same general story. It goes back to Noah. There's, there's the same thing with the creation. They've got creation stories. They've got stories about a Messiah who's coming, a great king or a Messiah who's coming that will rescue the world. All these stories are out there amongst all these generations. Why? Because God gave the gospel story from the beginning. It's been out there. And the gospel story is the real, true story of God. And every good story has to have the elements of the gospel message. You know, something starts out right, something goes wrong, some hero has to come up or have a hard time, usually be usually come very close to death, if not die, and then is victorious at the end. If you don't have those story elements of a story, you don't really have a good story. And you think about it, any story you really like has those elements at some some degree or or, or relative. If it's missing any of those stories, any of those stories lines, it just isn't a good story. It's missing something. In our day, a lot of times they'll try to write stories and movies where the bad guy wins. They never do well because everybody knows that bad is not supposed to win. Right. And even though they try to give you this story and bad winning, it leaves the people wanting something the conclusion has not been made because the good story is that good wins in the end mm -hmm. and if you don't have conflict you don't have a good story uh, you get these movies every once in a while or these shows that don't have a real conflict in them and it's like why did i just waste my time watching this there right. nothing happened they all every story every story that is worth watching or seeing has to have conflict the good guy has to almost lose and then comes out as the victorious winner why because that is the picture of Jesus Christ it is he is the ultimate story and every story has to fit within his story and so and if it's not we just instinctively know that the story is bad if it misses any of those any of those conflict points, it's a bad story, because it doesn't have what it needs. If you if things go wrong and the and the and the good guy rides in and never has any trouble solving the solving the issue, you look at it and say, well, what was the point of the story? The good good one, big deal. You know, but it has to have all the points of the story to be to be what it is. Verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, even your God. Now we're switching to God is talking more to Israel. He's talking specifically to his people. And this is here to obey. 
O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify, I will bear witness against you. I am your God, even your God. Okay, and God's saying, I'm going to speak against you. I'm going to testify against you. Why? Because they've been an adulterous people. They've been in a, they've committed a, they've actually committed adultery against God through their, through their idolatry. Because God says they're his people, they're his bride. And they've rejected him and gone into adultery. And if you read the book of Hosea, that's all about what the picture of God and his people, where he, where he is to marry Gomez and, uh, Gomer, excuse me, and, and she goes out and goes back into prostitution and he has to buy her back. And she goes back into prostitution and he has to buy her back. That's all a picture of what Israel has done to God. Uh, it says, I will not reprove or correct you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings to have been continually before me. So he, he's not even counting their sacrifices. He goes, I'm not even going to count them. I'm not going to correct them. I'm not going to accept them. And this, this when you think back when, when Saul was told to kill the Amalekites, all the Amalekites, all their animals, and they kept the best of the animals, and they kept the king alive, and Samuel comes, what have you done? He goes, well, I've, I've been obedient. I've done what God told me. You know, and Samuel goes, what is this bleeding of the sheep? <laughs> oh, we kept the best so we could sacrifice to God, right. which was probably a lie right there. They weren't, they weren't planning to sacrifice those animals. They were planning to enrich themselves, and they hadn't killed the king, and they were told to kill everybody, and yet Saul kept going, well, I've done what God told me. <laughs> It's, it's amazing how sometimes we think that we do things our way and we say we're doing it God's way. They kill a lot. During those times they were supposed to because they were, they were in a place where the judgment of Canaan was 430 years in the making. When Abraham was going through Canaan they were an evil and adulterous people. By the time the Jews came back, 430 years, actually 470 years, because they spent 40 years in the wilderness, Canaan was a completely evil place. You know, Canaan was so evil that they did not even have words for incest and, and, uh, and bestiality and, and rape. It was all normal to them. They were so bad. Okay, you know, they, they did not have these separations. They offered their children to their gods to be burnt and built their houses upon, the, upon their children. If they wanted to have a business, they built their, house, their business house with the children as the basis, as a sacrifice to Moloch, who was the god of, of businesses. So they were an evil, cruel people. And God says, destroy all of them because they needed to be destroyed in his sight. And this is where we're headed in our world where we will sacrifice everything. I mean, this world sacrifices their children. You know, we don't want the children. They're in the way. They're worthless. We don't want them. We call it abortion and say it's, it's legal. And all it is is, is way to get rid of, their kid, rid of the kids uh, because they're a nuisance. Uh, and we sacrifice so much. There's men and people that will sacrifice their families and, and their entire life to their success of their God of work and business and affluence. 
we're getting very close to this idea that we're back to the days of Noah. We're back to the days of Canaan when God judged them and said, kill all of them. And God is going to judge this world. Yeah, but at least they were, this is sickening, what I'm going to say is just putrefyingly sickening. But they were sacrificing a child, hoping that this sacrifice would bring them prosperity. They're killing these babies today just because there is inconvenience in the way, or they may not be perfect enough for them. And that, but that happened in that day too. If you had a malformed, a, a deformed child, they were in, instantly killed. You know, if you had a child you didn't want, you got rid of it. Most of them. You know, it's not that much different today than it was then. You know, part of it was sacrifice, but part of it was just getting rid of the kids. In the Roman Empire, they kept their families down to about four, four or five, and every male child pretty much was killed other than the first. And you might keep a second just in case the first died, but you killed all your other male children and, and women, you know, female children, depending on how wealthy your family was, you got rid of most of them because they were a drain on the family. You know, they weren't they weren't worth anything, so they killed a lot of the women. And in they, China, if your first one was a boy, the girl died, So I mean, nothing has really changed from these days, from these particular days, and it's getting back into this. We have grown up in a Western Christianized world where you tried to help the deformed, you help tried to help the disabled, you we we honor honor life, and it's been a very rare thing for that to happen and it, it's really only been for a period of about 1600 years where we protected children that didn't seem to be of any value. They and used to hide you used to hide, well you used to hide the, the mentally in, incompetent but you didn't kill them. No. Okay. In the Roman Empire when Christianity started if you weren't strong enough to survive you deserved death. Okay, so if you got sick, there was no hospitals really in, in, in Rome in that day because if you got sick and you couldn't live, you got what you deserved. You, know, you, were, you deserved to be dead. And that's been from Noah, you know, shortly after Noah to the Roman Empire, so you're talking three, 4,000 years there. Then Christianity starts becoming strong and we start caring about the weak. We start caring about the, the, the poor. And the whole world shifts, uh, really shifts and turns upside down from what it had been for years under the world. You know, in the Greek Empire, you were weak, tough. <laughs> you know, in China, you were weak, tough. You know, all through the world, weakness was not to be tolerated. You had to be strong, and that kept the bloodline strong and kept, the, kept everything in. And then Christianity comes along and says people are of value. They're not to be destroyed. They're not to be killed. We develop hospitals. We, you know, medicine starts being created that actually starts working. Uh, orphanages to care for children that parents didn't want starts being developed. Then we come to today's age where we're starting to swing back on the pendulum and saying, well, kids are not important, so let's just kill them. The old, ah, the heck with it. They're, they're not worth anything. Kill them. You know. We're seeing everything flip back on its head toward the world standard of, of, of violence because that is what Satan wants. Satan, we've got to remember, Satan hates mankind because we are made in God's image. He hates people. 
He's not trying to fill hell with a lot of people that he likes to be around because we got to remember he's not the ruler of hell. He is a prisoner of hell. He is trying to hurt God as much as possible by taking as many of his precious creation away from God as he can. And that's what it's all about. And the more violence he can create and the more destruction of people he can create, the happier he is. And especially if he can get them his children before they have a chance to make a decision for God. He doesn't care. He wants to get as much, as much people killed as possible. And that's why we find in today's world the ultimate goal of the, of the, of the people that are in this green movement they say there's way too many people on this earth. They believe that there should be somewhere around a quarter of a million people on this earth, and anything more than that's too many. They're all for anything that causes death, you know, because there's just too many people on here. They don't want to kill themselves. They probably don't want to kill themselves, <laughs> but I don't know why they think that they would be part of the yeah, the yeah. elect few that got that survived. Why don't they take, but, take the first shot? But that's all because <laughs> of Satan. Oh, because they're green. It's, yeah, because they know how to live, they, they know how to make life. But it's all Satan saying, I want to hurt God, I want to destroy. Now, do they listen to Satan directly? No, I don't think so. But they're, they're being taught, they're being influenced. Mm -hmm. you know, we, the world is set for violence because that's what Satan is trying to move it toward. And the more we don't do our jobs as Christians to, to evangelize and get people to follow Christ, the more we're going to see the darkness return. And it's just a matter of time, and it's happening. We're seeing it happen. Good is being called evil. Evil is being called good. And we're seeing all of this craziness out there in this world. And it's all because we're headed toward the days of Noah. And God is saying, I'm going to speak. I will come forward, and I will win. You know, he is going to win in the end. He's already told us he wins. That is our great hope. God wins. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And when things really get bad, he's going to rapture his church out of here, and then he's really going to let loose on this earth. So our goal and hope is that maybe we'll be raptured and not have to die. And we'll go have a feast for seven years while the world is being judged. The sad thing is, hopefully we, you know, we don't have a lot of family that's left that is being going through the tribulation. And every family probably has members that have rejected Christ and will go through the tribulation. I know in my family, as much as, it, as much as my family's been evangelized, there are still people in my family that are going, no, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to accept it. And God is, says, I'm going to move. I'm going to come forward. It says, verse 9, I will take no bullock out of your house, nor the rams out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Basically, God's going, saying, I don't care what you want to sacrifice to me. It means nothing to me. God owns it anyway. <laughs> he, yeah. he owns it. And this is the same thing that when people, you know, should we tithe? Yes, we should tithe. Does God need our tithe? Not really. <laughs> if he wants to give the church money, he'll just say, okay, I own this stuff. I'm going to give it to the church. The purpose, though, of the tithe is for us to honor him, to love him enough to give him part back of what he gives us to, to, to manage. And he's saying, if, you know, if I really wanted to, I don't need anything. I don't need anything from you because I own, I own it all. And I love this when he says this, you know, 
uh, you know, he says, verse 11, I know all the fowls of the mountains and all the wild beasts of the field are mine. So not only is all the, all the goods uh, and the cattle, but in everything else. And he's going to say basically everything. And then verse 12, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. And this is that idea, because this is playing on this idea of sacrificing. The world looks at it, and the world's religions look at it. We give a sacrifice because we're feeding our God. You know, we're giving our God food, and God is saying, you know, if I was hungry, if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you guys. You know, I don't need what you're giving me. You know, I don't need what you're giving me. The gifts that we give to him are to be gifts of thankfulness. And we're going to see this in verse 14 when we get there. He says, verse 13, I will eat the flesh of the bull. Will I eat the flesh of the bulls and drink the blood of the goats? And the obvious answer is no. <laughs> yeah. And this is what he says. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. And this section here for thanksgiving is literally a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Okay, and if you're going to read through the scriptures at times, you're going to hear about the sacrifice of praise or the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and it has three parts to this thanksgiving, this this sacrifice of thanksgiving or praise. The first one, confession of sin to God. God wants us to confess that we have sinned. That's the first part of the sacrifice of praise. The second part of the sacrifice of praise is a public proclamation of God's attributes and his works to be thankful Public proclamation declaration proclamation so we're to tell people of God's good work and his attributes to praise God basically to praise God okay the last word proclamation of proclamation of God's attributes and works attributes, attributes or who he is and then the last part of the sacrifice of praise is actually to praise him <laughs> and to glorify him. And in Hebrew, the word for glorify means to make heavy with praise. And basically it's saying there's, you can't make God too heavy with his praise because he deserves it all anyway. So the sacrifice of thanksgiving is the confession of sin, the proclamation of God's attributes and his works, and literally just praising him okay and this idea of public proclamation so many people that I've met in especially in Christian Christianity seem to be afraid to make people know that they're that God is their their one that brings them in and I've shared with you I used to love going into work when I worked in the restaurants and saying you know what God did this week he did this and people look at you like you're absolutely crazy <laughs> because you're saying that God is in control of your life and you know, it's great to be looked at as if you're crazy by the world because we are crazy by the world's standards. Or they say, no, it's just luck. No it was luck. just luck, yeah. yeah. No, no such thing as luck. God is in control of everything. But how often do we get out there and we say, look what God has done? Sometimes we won't even go into our Christian group and share what God has done in our life. You know, that's sad. Yeah, it is. That's sad when you, when you have a testimony time and nobody will get up and share what God has done in their life. Won't even share how they got saved in many cases, but won't share what God is doing in their life today. 
or yesterday or the day before. Hopefully God is working in your life and you have a testimony of what he's doing for you each day. And it's amazing. Is it vain of me when I people about my breaking my leg and that I know God did it for a purpose. I said, I know he did this for a purpose. No. I don't know the purpose, but I'm glad he did because my life is different. It's better. <laughs> There's and, your purpose. And then I had heart failure three months in May after, uh, see, November the 28th. I broke my leg. May the 12th, I had heart failure. But that is exactly what he's wanting. What, what has he done? How has it changed my life? Yes, that is not vain. That is praising God for what he's doing. And this is important. You know, even the testimony of I challenged God, you know, and I gave my tithe and, and this is what happened to me this week. It may sound vain because you're looking at the blessings you received. But I said, I, I stepped out in faith and gave God my tithe and all of a sudden... This happened to me and it was good. That's not being vain. That is, it could be vain. Let's take that back. It could be vain if, if you're sharing it for the wrong reasons. But if you're praising God and sharing what he has done and the good things he's done for you, no. You know, and I've heard people that can turn a good testimony into a look at me and how good I am and I did this and I did that and then God gave me. Now, yeah, then you're crossing the line into, you know, into a vein and, and look at me and I'm, and I'm the center of everything. But it, man, I just gave my, t I challenged, God challenged, I read that God challenged me to give my tithe and I gave my tithe and, and I bought these tires, they were half off and the gas seemed to last twice as long as it use, usually does. And, mm -hmm. you know, and you, and you give the God the praise, then no, you're not being vain, you're lifting him up. Could it be vain? It could end up being vain depending on how you, Say but like when I broke my ankle, I always, I always been afraid of when I get older, living by myself. Can I do things? You know, really. And I'm thinking that I'm not getting younger each year. And when I broke my ankle, I wasn't mad or anything. I was just like, like it could have been worse. And I'm keeping it up. I said, thank you, God, after I kind of healed up because I could do things, cheer people happy, but I did a lot of things by myself, and I could do it. It just took a little longer, but I could do it, and I think he wanted me to, to see it. Uh, you yeah. know, hey, you know, don't be. That is one thing, uh, I think, I think, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but after I look at, I used to think, look at that person, I'm, Three times older than they are, and they can't even dig a weed. <laughs> and I'm digging eight hours a day, and they, you know, I, I, then I thought maybe I was a little arrogant about Or what maybe I he do. wanted to slow down a little. He want because I thought too that I did a lot of things like I think he's trying to tell me I better slow down. And that could be. Five-year-old yeah. guy could and be. a 40-year-old guy tried to challenge him. He said, if you want to take an 80-year-old on, come at me. And a 40-year-old back down. From an 80, yeah. But I think, you know, he, he's letting me know, like, not testing you, but letting me know that, hey, you know, you got to slow down and you can do it. Rely on him yeah. for everything. And, and that's the key is he wants us to rely on him. Ultimately, everything is to rely on God because... He is the one that has to be relied on. And if it's our strength, it's not doing any good. Well, see, I thought so. it was before. You know, 
And, and I'm getting better at that. And even if that, even if they know Christ, they, you said you didn't know that you weren't doing things His way. That you were probably for where you were at in your Christian walk at the time doing things His way. God keeps raising the standard for us as we look at it. And this is what I say. What I do today will not be what I'm doing a year from now or what I did a year ago because I am learning more and more how to walk with God in a deeper and deeper way. When, when, and Paul said it, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, but I have put away foolish things. But that is actually true of every level that you're at. Wherever you're at, you're really thinking like a child. You're not thinking as much like a child as you did before because you've grown a little bit, but you're not thinking as much as your complete maturity will be down the road, and you're not thinking as much as your maturity will be beyond that. You know, but if God tried to take us to true, full maturity overnight, we'd probably go crazy. You know, we wouldn't know how, we wouldn't have a framework of how to deal with it. You know, and we think about this, we do the same thing with children. We'll allow a little child to do some really foolish, childish things because they're a child. But when that person becomes a teenager, if they're still doing the childish things, it's like, uh-uh, that's, that's not acceptable. Then they get to be an adult, and it's like, uh-uh, you can't even act like a teenager anymore. You know, we gave you room as a teenager, and, and, but that's true of every stage of life. You know, there's, that set, that, there's a maturity level that you expect somebody to grow into, and they leave whatever childish area behind as they're growing. While they're in that area, that childish behavior is okay, but once they move beyond that, that childish behavior, uh -uh, you're, you're, not, you're not a baby anymore. You're not supposed to be crying for your food. You know, you're, you're, you know come and ask me for your food. Uh, you know, you're, you're past the toddler of years. years. You're not supposed to throw your food all over the house. You know, we're, we're teaching you to, to be civilized. You know, but you, you understand what I'm saying. You know, and God does the same thing with us. What is permissible today a year from now, God will say, ah, oh, we're raising the standard. You're not, you're not that childish thinking. You're not that worldly thinking anymore. Then I guess I got it wrong on my calendar because I got on my calendar. When I grow up, when I grow up I'm going to be a child. <laughs> <laughs> I have on my calendar. When I be like, like a kid getting old, when I grow up, I'm going to be a child. If you mean by that staying active and, and, yeah. and inquisitive, then yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But, but yeah. if you mean... Not just not do whatever, yo. Know. It's like, like you know, when I grow up, I'm gonna be, you know, an engineer. When I'm gonna be a child, like I don't, I don't do age. I do windows, you know. Yep. <laughs> you know, I do windows, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm not gonna grow up because I'm not gonna get old. That's and, why I say I'm going to stay every time. And in a mentality, there is a way that we want to stay as children. We want to yeah. stay that inquisitive. We want to stay, active. but we don't want to and active. We just don't want to become be childish. Oh yeah, yeah, not. And, I didn't say childish. I yeah, child, not yeah. Childish. At verse fifteen, the, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God says, when we call upon Him, He will deliver us. And he expects us to glorify him. And this is important that he wants to be glorified because the biggest way to get into trouble is to try to make people think you did it. Mm -hmm. You did it. And this is, happens in businesses all the time where people take credit for somebody else's 
outs his work, especially bosses. You know, they'll, they'll take credit for everybody below them, you know, and not pass that, that uh, credit down to them. It says, but unto the wicked, God says, what have you to do? What have you to do to declare my statutes and that you should take away, take my covenant in your mouth? So it's basically saying, you know, who are, who are you to... Tell you what, tell them what to do because you're. Oh, it's you know you're not going to you're not going to declare his rules. If you're evil, you're not declaring your his rules. You know you're not going to declare his covenant because it doesn't mean anything to you. And this is where this is where when I share with people, you can tell what's important to somebody very quickly when you converse with them. You know when you converse with them, you can find out very quickly is God important in their life. Do they ever talk about God? And you can think about different people that go to church and claim to be Jesus, know Jesus. Do they ever talk about God? And if you start talking about God to them, how do they react? I've had Christians tell me, well, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to talk about the Bible or they change the subject. You know, and it goes, okay, this bothers me. You know, how important is God to you? And I'm not saying, and when I say that, I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the only thing you're ever going to talk about is God and the Bible. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about gardening and sports or, or crafts and everything. But is it to the point where you never talk about God? At that point, there's got to be some concern. What is your heart's desire? To talk about God. And for, me, for me, if people get to know me, they're going to know my heart's desire is to talk about God, and it has been for many years. I just like to talk about God. You know, you want to get me not to shut up? Get me talking about God. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to, you want me to be bored. You know, I'll, to a certain degree, I can talk about football because I like football and I can talk about football for a short time. But I still want to get back to God. Uh, you know, but I've been around people that, like I say, I've had Christians change the subject when it come, when God comes up. I've had Christians go and try to say, well, I just, I'm not interested in talking about the Bible. I love to have people tell me, what is it that God is sharing with you? What do you learn? What has God done in your life? Because I want to know that people are, you know, and it's not because I'm a pastor. This is where I've been all my life. I like to know what people are with God. Is God an exciting part of their life? Are they seeing God work in their life? Are they seeing their life change? And are they excited about it? And I love it even more as a pastor because it's telling me that what I'm teaching is, is, is good. But I've always loved to have people share what does God mean in their life. And it's very important that we share that, we talk about that, because the world doesn't care about it. And in verse 17, seeing that thou hates instruction and cast my words behind you. Have you ever talked to somebody and you give them the Bible and it's like they just throw the, they throw the words away? Mm -hmm. yeah, and this is what it is. They hate his instruction instructions that is the the correction the the directions we talk about this in the proverbs class all the time that the foolish man ignores instruction and ignores where god is what god is saying verse 18 when you saw the thief you consented with them or you you praised them you thought they were doing good you have been a partaker in adultery okay and this is whether this is where God is saying, you know, hey, you approved of them, therefore you are guilty. You, know, you are guilty through your, through your approval. Verse 19, you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. 
we've probably met people that seem to frame deceit. Every time they talk, they're setting up some framework of deceit or setting up the, the, the excuses or the alibis or whatever else comes up, huh? Gimme, gimme, gimme. There's some gimme, gimme, gimme in there. You sit and you speak against your brother and slander your own mother's son. You know, your own mother's son, your own, in other words, your brother's, <laughs> your own family. You're going to slander your own, your own family. These things have you done. I have kept silent your thoughts that I was all together as, as you, but I will reprove you. I will set them in order before my eyes. And this goes to God is long-suffering. And sometimes when he's long-suffering, people mistake that for his approval, that he's just like them. And we as Christians have to be careful because we want to be long-suffering. We don't want to sit there and condemn everything the world does all the time because our goal is not to make sinners good. Okay? Too many Christians try this. They want sinners to become good. Okay, quit sinning and then I'll give you the gospel. Okay, and we see this a lot. We see this a lot. And I'm not saying that it's bad to go out and protest, you know, abortion clinics and all this stuff. It's just not very productive. Because our goal is not to make sinners good. A matter of fact, good sinners are hard to bring to salvation. Because they don't realize that they need God. Because they're generally good. I don't, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't do this stuff, I don't do that stuff. You know, and you say, usually. <laughs> but they're hard. The Pharisees and the scribes were the hardest people for Jesus to reach because they looked and said, well, I, we keep the law, we're good. Mm -hmm. you know, I may violate it once in a while, but I'm a basically good person. I don't want good sinners. I really don't. It's, it's good for us to have bad sinners that know that they're bad. They're easier to reach with the gospel. And this is what he's saying. I'm not like you. I'm not going to con con say that what you're doing is good, but I'm also not participating in it. And this is where we get to be light and salt. When people are saying, you know, telling their lies, they're stealing, they're killing their children, and we go, no, God doesn't approve of that. I'm not condemning them, but I'm just saying there is a standard, and God says, no, that's sin. We find this as we're getting into the homosexual marriage debate. Okay? That is so it, it To us, it's, it's a huge, huge problem because God says it's a sin. It's murder. You know, excuse me, abortion's murder, but it is not marriage. And yet the world says, well, what big deal? Who, who are they hurting? Everybody's doing it now. Everybody's doing it now. I'm sure everybody at this table knows it, but just in case you don't, California voted no. Three judges turned that vote no around and said yes, they will be married here. Homosexuals. There's only there's only been one legislation that has approved homosexuality. Everything else has been for, forced on the states by the judges. It is against the people. Oh, do not want it. So, and of course, everybody knows that Tuesday is the big argument in front of the Supreme Court on homosexual marriage and, and whether the states have the right to, to set their own standards or not, and whether they have the right to not accept homosexual marriages in another state where it was legal. So all of that. you saying how Satan is getting control of all of that. Yeah, it's it's changing. Say nothing anymore. I know. We have well, no rights at all. 
And this is where the key comes into that we're going to get into. We as Christians have to speak up and say, no, it is sin. Even if it's going to be the world's going to reject us. And once this court goes to, once this case goes to court, and I believe that the judges will probably say that homosexuals can marry and that all states have to recognize it. And as far as they're concerned, it's a done deal. But Christians will still stand up and say, God calls it a sin. We're not accepting it. Right, right. Uh, we will be gen charged with hate crimes, and we will end up in jail because we were going to take a stance. And they and the and the homosexual community knows that Christian churches that aren't these liberal churches that are accepting that God is not real and and making their own standards are going to be the problem. And they know that the next step will, and that's why we're finding so much attack on the First Amendment and freedom of speech. Because they, they understand that, because there's also freedom of religion, that the Christian, the conservative, Bible-believing Christian is not going to ever say that homosexuality is okay. Because we're going to say, no, God says it. Yeah, well, and they're going to come back and say, well, the Bible's not God's word. And I go, I don't care. It is God's word. And we're not going to accept it. And there's going to be a small minority that is going to hold on to God's word. A remnant. A remnant. A remnant that will hold on to God's word. And it will be the start of the demise of the Christian, Christian churches as a whole and may even drive us underground. Because the church... The true Christian believers that believe that this is God's word are not going to surrender, even though the world says it's okay. We're going to say, no, it is a sin. We're going to stand and we're, we will pay for it. We will pay for it with our freedom because they're going to make the laws come across that it is not, that freedom of religion is not as, as big as the idea of political correctness. And I, and I hate it. Every time I get a new thing on TV, they have it. I just turn it off whenever there's homosexual. Well, that the Satan, Satan, like it said, was working so it about the yeah. priest, you know, and little boys. The priest, yeah. you know, started defaming the, the, the Catholic priest. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's starting there, and then it's a little, little picking a little here and there, chipping away at uh, yeah. Chippewa. Let's, let's finish. i got two verses yeah. left, but, but it is true, and I agree with you, our media in in, in Hollywood yeah. is well they're not even just accepting it they're pushing it and saying that it's normal and the real statistics say there's less than less than 10% of the population is gay or homosexual okay but it's being bombarded through our movies and bombarded through our shows that man everybody is how can you not how can you not believe this and it's a very very small percentage now it's getting lar you know, it's getting larger with people thinking they're gay because the schools are pushing this whole idea of, you know, if you have a thought, then you must act on it and see if you really are, you know. But it is again the sin of homosexuality, the ones who are actually sold out to it is very very small. Like Presley, I'm sure you heard. I'm not watching that special. Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner. Transgender. That is so sick. Bruce he, he's, he's changing his sex to female. Uh, but and they're all so happy. It, well, because he's a he's a very 
very high personality. The Olympic, the Olympic star. Yeah, Olympic star. I think that is so. But this is where things are happening to us, and this is why this world is going to be facing judgment. Homosexuality, all through his scriptures and in history, is a very violent group. They still are today. They always have been. Homo homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah, where they were pounding on the doors, trying to drag the, the angels out. Uh, in Judges, there's a story about the guy that was traveling, and, and they were pounding on the door to get him, and he gave his concubine to them, and they, they killed the girl and still tried to get him, uh, and called them, and then they destroyed the city. I mean, and this still happens today. And if a church is, stands for God and against homosexuality, and it's all the time all in, in, in San Francisco, if there's a conservative church that says anything counter to homosexuality, they will be pounding at the doors trying to destroy and disrupt their services because they, that they are violent. They cannot allow normal people to say God's rules about normal behavior because they cannot have a high standard of, of life and they will be violent. They are violent. And we're seeing it even today with all the different violence that's going on. You know, the black kid that was, was killed in Baltimore and they're rioting in the streets of Baltimore because, you know, because he got hurt. They're trying to create violence and saying, the only way we're gonna win is by being violent. You know, and it's not effective. It just causes more problems, but the more there is violence, the more that there's the need for the government to step in and stop the violence, and, and the more there is the, the idea of political correctness because they're gonna say, well, it's you Christians that are causing the problems. You're, you're, you're saying they're wrong and we're seeing violence. Yeah. And we're gonna see more and more of that. And we're affecting their freedom. We're affecting their freedom. Okay, let's see, where did I leave off? Uh, God is not one of them. Verse 22, now consider this Ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none left to deliver. Whoso offers praise glorifies me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. God is saying, if you want to ignore him, he's going to, he's going to come in and tear things apart. And God always does, in the long run, cause problems for the lost. Whether they strike back or violent on it, he will, they will reap the results of what they have sown. And all the gay people are going to get that. Well, if ultimately, ultimately, anybody who, is, who does not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is, is going to die. You know, and this death, ultimately God wins in the long run because even if it looks like they have won in life, if they have rejected God, they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's right. And they may have thought that they won in, on this, in this world, but they've sacrificed their soul for eternity. And this is why God said, you know, said we need to fear the one who controls eternity. We need to fear God because he's in control of eternity. Ultimately, it's his way that is going to win. Even if they think they got away with it in this whole lifetime, they don't. They're going to lose. 
And we go way back to the very one of the first Psalms we read. Why do the heathen rage and suppose themselves against God? God is going to win. God is going to win in the end. And it says, for who, whosoever, whoso offereth praise, and this goes back to what we were talking about, the praise of thanksgiving, glorifies me and to him that ordereth or sets his life in order, I will show the salvation of the God, of God. And that means to set in order, whose order? God's order. I give up my life and say, God, I'm giving it to you. And he puts my life in order. Very important. How do we do this? We turn it over to God. We praise him. We turn our life over to him. And then he gives us all the blessings that come with it. And I love, I love the fact that the way we live with God is so simple. We let him do the work. We let him do the work and he, and he puts everything in. You know, we see his salvation from it. All right, let's close. I'm sorry I went over, over time. But Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, for, your, for you that you will be victorious in the long run. We thank you that you will be our helper, our guide. We ask that you help us to, to live your live more and more like you in each day as we surrender more and more of our life to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.